Welcome, everybody, to the Game Informer Show, a weekly podcast covering the video game industry. Join us every Thursday for a discussion about the latest gaming news, reviews, and exclusive reveals alongside Game Informer staff and special guests from around the industry. I'm your host, of course, Alex Van Aken, and today I'm joined by Jay Guisal. Jay, how you doing, dude? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Um, congrats on getting your first cover story under your belt, God of War. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It was uh, it was it was amazing to be able to have that kind of opportunity and work on it. Um, I'm really excited for everybody to read it and check it out. Hell yeah! Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, first, we need to introduce our special guest, Kenneth Shepard, staff writer at Fanbyte, co-host of Normandy FM. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We've been trying to get this like in the works for like a while, and we finally found a, t- a time for me to come on. I know. I'm also really bad at planning and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, typically message people, you know, the day before or the day of, like I did today. But yeah. I saw your really excellent piece over on Fanbyte uh, on The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, we should get Ken on. Because I also think you're a fan of God of War, aren't you? I am. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, Ken would be great. And we worked it out. Thank you for making it happen, Ken. Uh, how are you? How how are things? Oh, I'm good. I'm vibing. Been like a busy day, as you can imagine. Like when an embargo goes up, we get a lot of stuff that goes up, and like just managing that is a whole endeavor. So, been a very. I feel like I get day. like I get like acid reflux around big embargoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even after all these years, I still get nervous. I'm like, you you do this daily. This is like your job. You've already got yeah. Yeah, I feel that. This being a new <laughs> thing, but I'm like, oh man, I got all the stuff that I've been working on. Yeah. I suddenly like start doubting my capability of. Time, like knowing time zones mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i'm like yeah oh god what if what if i get the time zone wrong it's like you literally do this every day mm-hmm. um, yeah. terrifying cool. is getting <laughs> like the the tweets ready for the website's twitter because if i mess up oh, there yeah. it's gonna be on a much bigger audience than if i do it on my own account so it's just it's a really <laughs> nerve-wracking job we have sometimes yeah but it's fun and speaking of fun i got to go to uh, we didn't have an episode last week uh appreciate everybody's patience uh, I went to Europe for two weeks, um, and one of the, I guess if people listened to the, our last episode on Fortnite, we had Jesse and Sean Thomas on just talking about Fortnite and why we love it. But that episode I recorded my first night, my second night in London was completely jet lagged. It lasted like three days. The, the third day I was supposed to go to a pub with my uncle and kind of get the the London experience right, and. Uh, he was like putting the kids down because I stayed with them. They live in um, a suburb like just north and he was putting their, their little kids to bed. I was like, okay, I'm going to go take like a 15 minute nap uh, and then we'll meet downstairs and, and be good to go. And I lay down. I was really not even going to nap. I was just going to watch TikTok, but at least like be resting. Mm. And suddenly I wake up in a cold and not in a cold sweat, in a hot sweat <laughs> because there's no AC there. Um, oh, sweating no. profusely in the pitch black. All the lights in the house are off. I look at my phone. It's like almost midnight. I, I fell asleep at like seven. Uh, mm. And I was like, oh, no, I have completely. Not only do I feel like a massive jerk for missing you know this thing that we've been planning uh he was like texting me i guess he didn't want to like come into the room i'm i was thinking like just come in and wake me up but i guess he didn't know the situation so he was i had like a bunch of unread texts from him like hey are we doing this <laughs> uh okay well i'm thinking about going to bed if you don't reply okay i'll see you in the morning good night mm. and I, was, I felt so bad um but i went out there because i was, I was going to 
Gamescom. I went to Pokemon World Championships uh, in London. I, I got to do that. Was like not. I didn't travel to work for that. Um, I just it just happened to be there while I was in London visiting family. So I went over. That was really cool. I think I talked about that last week. And then we had Gamescom. Very jealous of you. I wish you were there. I did get you a gift, by the way. I got a. Oh, that's very I got a. I got to mail it out. Um, very nice. It'll, it'll come in the in the coming weeks. <laughs> but yeah, so I went to Gamescom solo, uh, which was an interesting experience. Dang. I kind of wish. I told Reiner that I was like, it would have been great if we had a second person here, and he was like, yeah. Probably should have done that. <laughs> it's kind of lesson <laughs> learned kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, we only have so many staff these days and, you know, but I had a lot of fun. Uh, I'm exhausted. I just got back to the States yesterday, last night, but uh, the jet lag's much better on this side of the trip for me. So I'm hanging in there. But uh, yeah, Gamescom, if you aren't familiar, listeners, it's it's kind of like the E3 of Europe, but like mm. it's actually like probably it's bigger than E3. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the biggest gaming convention in the world, I think. Uh I think like half a million people came through this past Good week. Good lord. Oh. Oh it's got ten, 10 halls of games. Two to three of them are reserved for business, and that's where uh, I did the large majority of my stuff as a press mm-hmm. member. Very weird experience being surrounded by the games industry and not knowing anybody because like the European games industry is so vast, and like you just sometimes don't get, you know exposed to everybody like in you know in the way that our circles operate you know it's just kind of like happenstance really it's not like anything malicious um so i did get to meet a really a bunch of really cool people met up with some some friends that i've known from the internet for a while and also it was like a mixture of like being really lonely in a place i've never been to uh, especially in germany it was like nobody here like i was told a, like england you can get by fine with english and for the most part, I could, but there were several times where, like, it was just, like, a, a wall that I could not right. overcome. Kind of depended on the people, right? Yeah. But it was interesting to cover games in that in that scenario. But I had a lot of fun. I played a lot of games. Um, we've got a ton of stuff going up on the website this past this week. It's, like, still going up. Uh, I think when you're listening to this, I should have just published a High on Life interview. I actually went off-site with the High on Life team, Squanch Games, on this uh, rooftop that had like a 360 degree view of Cologne. And we just talked about like their marketing struggles on High on mm. Life and, and like the problems that they've had kind of showing off the game and like picking parts to show off. Yeah. As well as like how to make comedy that doesn't like their comedy, I would say, is like can be edgy, but like it doesn't feel like it punches down. It's punching somewhere, but not really down. Right. So we kind of talked about like, you know their team's philosophy on crafting a comedy game it's almost like stand-up comedy like it is Mm. all about iteration and the most expensive thing in game development is iteration right Uh, and so it was a really fascinating interview go check that out got to play lies of p that was cool oh dope yeah i got to play uh endless dungeon i'll talk about that uh later on i really like that plague tale requiem i got hands on with a lot of games that i'm really looking forward to like it was i wasn't playing you know god of war right but i was playing you know a lot of really solid uh you know games a lot of great indie games as well yeah so it was a very fruitful event uh head over to gameinformer.com uh i've got stuff going up almost every day video and writing alike um but yeah so had a ton of fun i'm glad i finally have a gamescom under my belt i want to go again next year but i want to do it with more people yeah (laughs) um just because there's like so much stuff to see and, 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 you know, but yeah, I, I had a great time. 
I'm glad to be home. I'm very curious what E3 is going to look like next year, especially after SGF and Gamescom. Um, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, Ken, do you think, what do you think E3 is going to be like next year? Because they've announced like, oh, it's going to be in person again. Do you think that they actually follow through with that? I think at this point, too many other events are happening without E3 happening for them to just like not do it for another year. The thing that I'm curious about, because I, the only time I've ever been to E3 was before it went public. And so that's something that like always kind of made me nervous about Gamescom, just because like that is public. That is why it is as big as it is. And yeah, as I was always told, they seem to be having an issue uh, kind of juggling what E3 used to do and then also like bringing the public into it. So in that way, I'm curious to see what happens. But again, I, I do think that they are kind of at the point where they, they do need to kind of like get, you know, back into the groove of things if they want E3 to be relevant again. Yeah, it's I really like the way Gamescom does it um, with the so you have a main artery and then you kind of have chambers that people like file into. And some of those chambers, you know, you have to have a badge to get into. I felt like that was pretty effective. I, I had to go into the public area a couple times and it was it was pretty nightmarish. Um, just because there's so many people, you know, um, I had to cancel like one appointment because I was, there's no way I was going to make it. And I felt really bad, but you know, that's kind of, I guess the logistical challenges. Um, so if, if E3 was to kind of, and I feel like they're definitely going to, cause what the people that do packs are, are producing that show. I can't remember their name. Uh, Repop. Um, Repop. Yeah. So I imagine it'll be, you know, uh, consumer focused, but mm. be cool if they had, you know, like a business area. I, t- I felt like that was really effective. And I really made the days that I actually coordinated my schedule correctly, where I was only in the business area. I felt like I was so efficient. Um, that'd be great if E3 did something like that while also kind of catering, you know, to fans too. But let's get into, let's not delay anymore. Um, let's get into our God of War cover reveal. But first, Jay, you have some news to share. I do, I do. Um, so this will be my last appearance, well, I mean, as on the Game Informer show as an associate editor at Game Informer. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's sad, but I'm very excited. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Where you're going is so freaking cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited. I'm excited to tell people on Twitter and everything when uh when I'm allowed to, but um yeah, I'm I'm really excited for this next chapter. I've kind of been working towards this for like the past like 7 years or so. So, this is kind of a, a dream come true for me, but um you know, I, I, the only reason why I feel like this is even happening is really in large part due to the work I've done at Game Informer and just being involved with the crew here. So I'll forever be indebted to everyone at Game Informer, and I'm excited to see what y'all do next. I, I think, uh, you know, I speak for everybody. You know, obviously uh, they aren't here right now, but, you know, just how much of an impact you've had on the team. <laughs> Thank uh, you. How much, how like just much of a joy it is to work with you and how... Um, you're positive, but you're also like, just like quick witted and funny and know when to like snap back. And it's just, it's been so awesome getting to know you. I feel like I have a friend for life. Likewise, brother. Likewise. (laughs) Uh, The group chat's not going anywhere. Oh yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so this is your last, is this your last week? I know this is your last show. Yes, this is, this is my last week. Yeah. It's, um, it's come up so quickly. I was, I was busy with cover story stuff. Um, I didn't really have time to sort of sit in it and think about it but these past few days um i've been thinking about it and so yeah it's 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 pretty it's pretty bittersweet but um you know i'll still be in the community and everything we'll all still be talking playing games and stuff and i'm still in the industry you know so i'll be around yeah you've been like you said this is 
I think once you announce it, people will look at it and just see how good of a fit it is considering, you know, you, you, uh, what you've been doing the last few years, you know, going to school, you've been, you've been kind of dipping your toes in everything. And I think this is just like the culmination of all of your hard work. And yeah, so people should go and follow you at Jason underscore Guisao. That's G-U-I-S-A-O at Jason underscore Guisao on Twitter. Uh, and I assume you'll announce in the next couple of weeks, Jay. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Okay. Also, like, quick, dude, quick shout out, man. You always get my last name right, and I love it. I really <laughs> do. What a legend, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I just say it how I read it. I, I don't know. It's funny <laughs> no. you say that. There's like the entire PlayStation community is mad at me for calling uh, Atreus. <laughs> Atreus. Um, <laughs> But at least I got my coworker's name right. I feel like that's the bare minimum. You got the you got the real person right. That's that's what matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying real people's names right. And Jay, I just gotta say, yeah. as you know, as an outsider, I really just respect that you got your your cover story and you pieced out. It was like you get your first one. And you're like, okay, I'm on. That was it. <laughs> and such a massive one. Yeah, it is. Like, it is pretty massive. It's a crazy ride into the sunset. I'm not gonna lie. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah, you just like. Man, enjoy your golden parachute, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you so much. <laughs> well, let's get into it then, you know? Let's get into your first cover story. First, yeah. before we get into all the details of gameplay and what you saw, what was it like, you know, as a writer approaching mm-hmm. this big project? Like, tell me about your mindset, like, preparation. I feel like we don't get, you know, to talk to people too often that, you know, I think Wes was the last one, and that was, like, last month that, like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is a person on staff who they're having their first cover story. And like, I feel like you don't get to, you know, see an inside window into that perspective very often because, you know, uh, it only happens once. Yeah, it's um, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure. It's funny because talking to Miller and Reiner, you know, in our meetings about it, they'd be like, no, dude, no pressure. This is like this is probably the easiest thing you'll get to do because there's no limitations. And it's like, no. It's really difficult, and there's so much pressure, um, but it's so much fun too, right? It, it's such a wild opportunity to even be able to talk to people from Santa Monica, you know. And I guess just my process, I for a while I was just sitting there thinking, okay, like what what angle am I going for here? I was trying to come up with like just something super duper original, and then I I don't know. After a couple of days, I realized, you know what? Like, why don't I just why don't I just try to write about what people want to hear, right? <laughs> the combat, the story, you know, the, the the new features that are incoming. So I was kind of just like, let's just go with the angle of like, you know, a behind the scenes look um, at this game, what it's all about. Because really, you know, after doing a lot of research on it, and I hadn't even realized it myself um, in the early stages, we really don't know too much about Ragnarok. They've done a great job of keeping everything secret. And I'll tell you what, even when talking with them, um, they did a great job at that too. <laughs> they did they did a great job keeping all of the all of the super critical stuff, you know, under wraps. But like also they left enough room um for us to talk about some of uh the very exciting things that are coming up that you'll also see throughout the month um from our videos and, and our articles and stuff. So yeah, it's a great honor. It was so much fun. And like I said before, I'm just I'm really excited to talk about it. I'm really excited for people to read and I'm excited to play the game. I think it's going to be really cool. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. Of course, if people want to go and check out all of our coverage, they can go to GameInformer.com slash G-O-W Ragnarok, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, God of War Ragnarok, but God of War is is not spelled out. 
gameinformer.com slash G-O-W Ragnarok. Go check it out. We'll have, like Jay said, videos. I think our cover story will eventually go up there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of been doing like an early access thing. You know, if you're a subscriber, you get to read it well in advance. And then eventually, if, you know, maybe you don't have the means to do that, then you'll get to read it eventually. But right. we'll kind of go through the key points, I think, in this. Um, and then, of course, we don't want to spoil the whole cover story. You want to go and read it yourself. But I'm just I'm looking at I'm looking at the cover story right now, Jay. We'll kind of go through it beat by beat, if that's cool, like your main sections, if that's cool. Absolutely. So I guess gearing up your first, you know, kind of header within the cover story is a dirge rises, you know, raising Kratos, you know, kind of like a look, a brief look back at, you know, his story. It's very, very much like a primer. But yeah, like you said, we don't know much about this story so where does the story pick up you know what do you want to talk about sure absolutely like even even after working on the cover story for a long time um i'm i'm going to be honest with you there were a lot of story details that they wouldn't divulge which is totally fair but um but you know the game picks up three years after the first one and so fimble winter is coming to a close and ragnarok is sort of imminent as we know from like trailers and whatnot um atreus wants to stop this apocalypse that's like on its way right but Kratos, the, you know, angry worrywart that he is, he, he worries that Asgard might get involved. And, you know, we know Thor is one of uh, two of the main antagonists, the other one being Freya from the 2018 game. So because he's one of the main antagonists, we know Asgard definitely gets involved. Um, and so Kratos and Atreus will need to rely on some of their, their old buddies uh, like Brock and Sindri and, and Mimir. He'll be with you as well, the, the talking head. He'll, he'll be along for the ride. Um, but we're also going to see some new faces, you know, Tyr, which I'm really excited for. Yeah. Um, they didn't they didn't talk too much about Tyr, but I like I uh, talking to Eric Williams about Tyr. He was super excited. He compared uh, that that moment in the trailer where like uh, Kratos um, meets Tyr and you see him like stand up. Um, he compared that moment to Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. So I thought that was really really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you're gonna meet Angraboda, um, who you know um, for all the mythology buffs out there she's supposed to be like the canonical lover of loki so we'll see how she sort of fits into everything and then there's durlin which i i don't know too much about i do know he will appear um in the in the exclusive the, the realm that they showed us the exclusive realm that they showed us um one of the new realms that we that we didn't see in the old game and uh hopefully we'll learn more about his octopus pet too uh, i'm kind of excited <laughs> to see what that's all about um but yeah man also like other side major side characters like we know Fenrir's in the game. How does, you know, traditionally in Norse mythology, Fenrir and Tyr kind of, you know, right. have the whole arm thing. Like, I'm just very curious how they, because they've kind of obviously, like, take, it's this is their own interpretation. Exactly, right? Like, they've taken liberties with it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the big key elements I can't wait to, to learn more about. But yeah, so, you know, this is the second and final game of this saga for Kratos. We know that, you know, from the last game, Freya is obviously upset with Kratos and in the trailers, you know, she is, she's kind of, you know, vowed revenge for Mm -hmm. uh, them killing Balder. Right. But yeah, so a lot of, there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of storylines coming together in this, which is really cool. And I'm, I'm curious on the game length and I know they probably wouldn't tell you that, but (laughs) um, I'm very curious, like how they pull it all off in just one game, because I feel like there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered. And it, it just felt like, you know, wow, the first game was this great setup. And to be fair, we got a huge revelation at the end. Right. I'm just very curious how they how they hit all of these beats and make them all fulfilling. I think they've got a big challenge on their hands. But yeah, let's get into like more of the, the nitty gritty, Jay. Um, 
what do you want to talk about first? Which aspect? I know we've got uh, accessibility to talk about. We've got world design in the new realm, combat. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you really want to talk about first? I guess we could talk about the world first. We'll we'll start on like the we'll we'll like zoom in from the world, but we can. I'll talk a little bit about you know we we've seen some of the different modes of like transportation, right? So we have like the sled wolves that we saw in the trailer, Specky and Svana. Um, and they sort of like get you from point A to point B, um, at least uh, as far as we know, at least in, in Midgard and the Lake of the Nine, because that's frozen over this time around. We do know that the the, the wooden boat is coming back from uh, from the 2018 game. So, you know, you'll still be rowing down rivers and streams. Hopefully Mimir will still be telling like really awesome stories and an older Atreus can maybe chime in on that as well but i think uh just having multiple modes of transportation which uh was something the 2018 game uh didn't have i think i think that's pretty indicative of the fact that you know ragnarok is just going to be a bigger game right um and on top of that uh eric williams also told me that we'll be able to explore all nine of the realms this time around so i know uh, AVA, you were talking about how, how are they going to hit on all these points? Well, hopefully the fact that you'll be going to a lot of different places gives them the space and the time to be able to hit on all those plot points to, to really be able to, to make this world feel even more connected um, than, than the 2018 game. But um, what, I, what I did get to see, and you know, hopefully everyone will get to see um, soon, um, is some exclusive footage of one of the new realms, Svartalheim, uh, which is a dwarven realm and it's kind of it, it has just backwater mines and 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 storage depots and and huge bodies of water it even has like a city and you know that's that's this is the first city we've seen at least in the Norse era um, of God of War with people like NPCs living in that city we kind of got a brief glimpse of it um, in the reveal trailer um, but because there are all these expansive locations and environments you know there's there's, it sort of indicates that we'll probably have, you know, multi-phase puzzles. Like, uh, based on the footage, I saw Kratos running around and, like, freezing these, like, sputtering geysers with his Leviathan axe so he can get across. I saw him destroy steaming pots that were sort of, like, obstructions in the way. Um, and then also, you know, just like the last game, instructing Atreus to sort of turn wheels or hit levers and whatnot. And there's there's still, like, this this really fun... Um, almost more witty banter between the two of them just because Atreus is much older. So you'll have all these different ways of getting through the environment. Um, there's more verticality now, which, you know, is a huge feature um, for sure. It, it makes it makes exploring much faster and more streamlined, um, but it's also, you know, a quality of life update as well, right? I don't know if you guys remember, but in the previous game, um, you would sort of climb up walls and it, it kind of felt like this very like like almost like a scripted moment where you'd have to like okay i have to grab this ledge and grab this ledge um i saw kratos take his blades of chaos and sort of like stab it into the wall and then slide all the way down the wall to get to a ledge below him so it, it it's it's more streamlined it's much faster and stuff like that um but i'm i'm pretty excited about svartalheim um i'm excited about the potential to interact with npcs uh Durlin, one of the new characters, he's a dwarf, um, so we will see him in Svartalheim. Um, what role he serves, I don't yet know, um, but it's just it's it's exciting. I'm hoping uh, they they couldn't confirm anything, but I'm hoping that you know there's room for side quests because we did get side quests in in 2018, and so the idea of there being more NPCs, the the idea of this world feeling more lived in to sort of you know drive home the fact that the things that Kratos and Atreus are doing affect uh more people than just themselves um i'm, I'm really excited to see uh like 
the, the new stakes with having more characters, even just civilians in general. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you were kind of mentioning about the boat, you know, and, and Atreus and Kratos talking and, you know, how their conversations are hopefully, you know, more uh, in-depth because one of the pieces in your your cover story is that um, you wrote that, you know, they the challenge they had was this is the last game. Yeah. And they don't want Atreus to just be a kid again. Right. Um, and to ask a bunch of the same questions. And so Absolutely. They, the challenge was aging him up, dealing with, you know, things like his godhood and the greater good. Right. And while also remembering he's a teenager, so yeah, that was um that was actually one of my favorite sections to write for the cover story, just because um Eric was sort of just talking about how you know for the 2018 game a lot of it came down to molding Kratos into this more likable uh character, right? Like a more three dimensional character that wasn't just like I'm just gonna stab you when I'm angry, right? You know, like we they added more stakes to that character, and so. With Ragnarok, the idea was everything they tried to do with Kratos, they're trying to sort of do with, with Atreus now. And so he has his own character arc, and he has his own things to live up to uh, in the sequel game. And and what I really appreciated, something that Eric, I'm, I'm misquoting it, I'm going to paraphrase it, but um, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, in, in, in the first game it was all about like atreus you know asking like like the what it, what what are these what what is that kind of questions right um just because he's a child and the and the adults sort of instruct him and and he doesn't really question anything but the idea is that now that he's older the world is a little less black and white it's just it's more gray and as you get older it just continues to be <laughs> grayish gradients right and so it's less about you know what are these things and more of like okay the answer that the adults in my lives have given me you know is that answer the right one do i believe in that answer and so i'm interested to see you know if they're and, and you know he's he's a teen so i'm sure there are going to be these moments where he's going to where he might question his father's authority where he might question his father's decisions and it could sort of become this conversation um, about like you know generational gaps and, and the gaps that children have between their parents because you know in a large part God of War really has kind of always been about family right um, it was a little hard to see uh, in the older games uh, when Kratos was busy killing everyone and and everyone was dying but really at the end of the day it was about the death of his family it was about patricide and Kratos and his father and now you know it's about breaking those cycles with with Kratos and Atreus so that's interesting to hear because like I had one of my questions going into Ragnarok was like what form would Kratos and Atreus's relationship take because like right you know the, the first game is there's a pretty I mean, the the arc I think has like some level of finality to it, but also like as you know, as you grow older and as you learn more things, you are more, you're like the things that you question your parents about become more nuanced. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of like wondered what what Ragnarok would be kind of like, you know, what questions it would be asking, what questions Atreus would be asking, because I think like in the grand scheme of things, there's like a lot of criticism that, that can be levied at the 2018 game, but I am a fan of that game as more of a reflection on not necessarily the act of violence but more like the rebellion in it and that's what was in what the the series had done before because i I think just like the framing of things and that was significant and it was very specifically about like you know what does it mean to have the power of a god and right you know what are the the responsibilities that come with that so like i guess i just always wondered like what is ragnar going to start to interrogate other things that the past games used to do and in what form will those take so that is interesting to hear about like how that seems to be something they're very cognizant of yeah i i think I mean, I, I, I hope that we do have uh, more of these moments where sort of a, Atreus is sort of 
displaying his like own agency in situations because it, it did often feel like in 2018 you know he was a child and it kind of felt like um at the end of the day uh, a lot of a lot of what the player felt a lot of the information the player was getting was through kratos but now we have an older atreus um who like has his own convictions as well you know we kind of saw it in the reveal trailer a little bit where he's kind of like why don't you act like a general you know like maybe we have to go to war with asgard and then you have kratos sort of uh, uh, moving away from his past a little bit and saying things like, you know, like maybe war isn't the only way. And so it might be interesting to see that cyclicality of like, you know, maybe uh, Atreus is becoming more like his father than Kratos wanted, mm -hmm. but also, you know, seeing how Kratos is sort of moving away or potentially even overcoming um, sort of his past um, that, that continues to haunt him. Awesome. Well, let's keep moving through playing with your food. Playing with your food. Man, that was, that was really cool. Uh, I talked to uh, lead combat designers, uh, Mihir uh, Chef and Denny Ye, and they kind of uh, spoke with me about this really ancient uh, Santa Monica studio mantra, you know, play with your food. That's kind of always been the driving force uh, behind the combat. Yeah, they've got, what, like 17 years of experience yeah, working it's, on God of War? Yeah, like just shared between them. They've been, they've been working on God of War for a while, and so, you know... Um, they, they've been with Kratos, and, and, and they've been with the action of the series for a while. And, you know, fans of the series love the action. <laughs> um, and I think they really, you know, uh, took it up a notch, at least in 2018, when they kind of uh, brought, like, you know, that free-form, over-the-shoulder camera. Um, it made fights feel more personal, uh, more intimate and gritty. You were just really up close. And, you know, they that that's still in... Uh, Ragnarok, you know, we're still going to even get the continuous shot, which is really exciting. And, um, and you know, Eric was kind of talking to me about how, like, they, they have some really exciting ways of, of, of putting the, the continuous shot in the game. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what those things are. But um, at the end of the day, combat uh, is king with God of War. And they've added a lot of new features to combat this time around, including some, you know, a couple of new weapons. Uh, more verticality now, which was something that was missing from 2018. Um, Kratos. And so, when you of... say verticality, can you can you expand on that in terms? Absolutely. Of, I think I understand in terms of exploration, but not in terms of combat and how it affects sure. that. So you know, a lot of the arenas in the game will be offering like multi-story uh, areas where you know you might have enemies on high ground, and Kratos can very easily throw his blades of chaos at a ledge. And sort of like uh, sort of like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat, and he can sort of pull himself up there in just seconds. Um, and the way that they've designed it is that the minute you pull yourself up, you can start mashing the buttons, start killing things immediately. And so just being able to move from high ground to low ground to high ground in these sort of expansive arenas makes fighting uh, much more frantic, uh, much more chaotic. Uh, but there's there's a little bit of control to that chaos too, because you know. You have your, your Blades of Chaos, you have Atreus, you have the Leviathan Axe still, and you have your arm shields and everything and your fists. So there are still like a bunch of different tools you can use uh, to get throughout each arena, beat down some enemies, keep yourself safe, uh, keep rotating around the map. Um, it looks like we're going to be doing a lot of sprinting um, and a lot of uh, repositioning uh, in Ragnarok. Yeah, I was looking at our gameplay, which uh, I realize I'm being mean and teasing it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else can watch what I'm talking about tomorrow on Friday. <laughs> but seeing Kratos, you know, kick people off of ledges and right. then, you know, jump from over onto off the ledge down to the bottom level and like having these really cool combos at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. kicking them off the ledge and kind of like in the way that God of War does really well where things kind of 
slow down just for a second when you get a really big hit in. Yep. Um, that you just feel that impact. Yeah, but now you've sure. got the impact of also the environment and like seeing them fall a couple stories and then, you know, hitting the combo and then jumping down. Yeah. I was watching the gameplay. I was like, oh my God, I can't. No, no pun intended. I can't wait to play this. <laughs> um, okay. So that's playing with your food. Now there's another part, and this is just maybe a side thing, but in your cover story, you have something called Monster's Ball. Can you yeah. kind of talk about, talk about that? Sure, absolutely. So uh, we'll be getting, um, obviously, you know, new monsters this time around. And we've kind of seen, you know, like like lizards and like wyverns from uh, trailers. Some of the, the, the new monsters that you'll see in, in the footage, they're called Grims, and they're like uh, bipedal reptiles. Um, you have your cursed Grims, which are another form of those Grims, but they kind of spit out this poisonous bile at you it, they're just going to be a, a ton of a ton of new enemies um including like you know centaurs that we've seen in the trailers as well um and both the combat designers were kind of saying you know it's all about variety right um and so you know there's going to be a, a bunch of fresh faces for us to beat the crap out of in ragnarok awesome beat the hell out of you mean <laughs> you're right beat the hell out of with one l yeah let's get into accessibility this game has they're, they're making some pretty big claims. We've got footage also of mm -hmm. the accessibility options we're going to be showing off. But kind of like their approach to making you know, to this universal design yeah. uh, for God of War so that you know everybody can come to the table. I think, what is it, 60-plus accessibility options? 60-plus. They were very inspired uh, by The Last of Us Part Two, which um, also kind of championed accessibility features as well. But um, I kind of I got to talk to Myla Pavlin, who's a lead UX designer, um, on Ragnarok and she was just really excited to talk to me about you know some of the features there are going to be some combat assists which is something we really didn't get into um, but I'm really excited to see how that sort of plays out with with already the chaotic combat and everything how we can sort of exert like a little bit more control over that you can even customize uh, puzzles and each each puzzle is sort of has like its own uh, specific aspects to it so like you know you might have like a a sound puzzle where um, you need to fling your axe at maybe a bell or something, right? And the idea is that, you know, you have to maybe wait for the sound of the bell uh, to finish. And so you can even, you can sort of stretch that sound out to sort of give you like a cushion uh, to complete the puzzle. Uh, Havlin sort of called them blockers, you know, those things in games where it just feels like uh, you just can't overcome this puzzle or you just can't beat this fight. And instead of it, uh, feeling meaningful for you, it kind of just feels like you kind of feel isolated. And so, you know, Pavlin said her and her and her team were just trying to make sure that um, you could sort of overcome almost any any of the blockers in the game, um, and that anyone can sort of extract meaning from it and really enjoy it. Um, but she and her team focused on four fields, right? So, vision, um, hearing, motor skills, and cognitive understanding. Um, and so, a lot of that is reflected in the options that are available. So, you know, you have auto pickup, um, you have auto sprinting, you can even map um, a lot of the mechanics to the DualSense's touchpad through swipes. So you can swipe and get like camera assist, which will just literally turn your camera in the direction of an objective. You can swipe and activate Spartan Rage, you know, because sometimes clicking on, on the sticks for certain players can be like a really painful experience, right? Um, and so it's really cool to be able to sort of streamline that and make it more approachable for everyone. Um, and it was just it was just really, really cool to talk to her about that because I've 
I usually feel like I don't know much about accessibility, and I always I always hate the fact that I don't know too much about you know like what goes into designing like accessibility features. And so it was kind of cool to just sit down with her for like an hour and just hear her just you know talk about everything that they're planning to put into the game. That's awesome. And yeah, I think some people can maybe tune out sometimes when you talk, start talking about accessibility. They might be like, well, I don't need that, so you know whatever. But I think also, like, the more, like, personally speaking, you know, Fortnite, for instance, a game I play a lot of, there are several accessibility options that might not have been intended for my use, but as me as somebody who doesn't necessarily struggle with certain challenges that others might, I can still reap the rewards as, a, as another player. And um, I think, you know, people will, if you, I think if you take the time to look through accessibility options, you can often find... Uh, some really cool, you know, things that you might even look as look at as like a feature for yourself. And so I encourage people to, uh, you know, 60s a lot. Um, I'm excited, <laughs> I'm excited yeah. to look through, you know, and see how I can how I can, you know, customize the yeah. experience for myself. And, that, and that's really what it is. Yeah, it is exciting just to keep seeing that becoming more standardized, like especially like it's seemingly like within Sony, like there seems to be some kind of appreciation for this that's mm-hmm. starting to like spread through their first party studios. So that's exciting. And I hope that, you know, goes out to other companies as well because the more of these things we get, the better. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. I mean, even Pavlin was kind of just saying, like to your point, AVA, that, you know, it, it these features are really are they can be for, for anyone, for everybody, right? Like uh even even down to like some some things that might be considered super small. Like there's the option to have like a, a like an image of the controller up on the screen for streamers and for people who might want to watch streamers and kind of understand like okay what combo did they just do they can see like the buttons they're pressing in real time and so the UI of that screen is also designed um, to sort of uh, to be malleable as well so you know say that you don't want to have the controller up well maybe you can throw uh, your camera up where the controller would be in the UI because there's nothing else that's going to be there. So it, it's kind of it's kind of nice that they've designed even the UI for people who just want to show other people the games they're playing. You know, like even down on that kind of level. So that it really feels like in a lot of ways there's a feature here for, for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's get into kind of closing thoughts. What's this? I'm, I'm kind of glancing at the the cover story. And I see something called like the dual channel, a methodology called dual channel, and how it's like. Pivotal kind of addressing balance uh, within you. Yeah, absolutely. So the dual channel is is kind of like um, it, it's sort of ensuring it, it's part of accessibility, but it's sort of ensuring that there's more than one play one way. Excuse me for players to like receive sensory information, right? So they so the idea is that you know they can receive it sonically, visu- visually, and haptically, um, and that's sort of been applied to really like almost all of the features and and it kind of goes back to the idea of that like you know they're focusing on vision hearing motor skills cognitive understanding they want they want anyone to be able to uh be able to interact with the game in in multiple ways yeah cool well i recommend everybody go and and check out the cover story again gameinformer.com slash magazine if you want to go and read the digital version Uh, we have the app that you can get on the app store uh, that's what I use. I have it on my iPad and, you know, just log in. And if you have a digital subscription, which you can get through the app, you just download whatever issue you want and and read. Of course, you can, you know, go through Power Up Rewards, GameStop, get a physical version. Uh, but all of that can be accessed via the website. You can kind of deal with all of that and get get set up over there. Um, of course, GameInformer.com slash G-O-W Ragnarok. 
that's where all of our coverage um that's not you know the cover story is going to go up so the gameplay videos other you know that kind of stuff all goes through the hub but yeah so let's get uh blake in here we're gonna take a quick break jay do you have any just really any parting thoughts on god of war before i rush us out of here i guess i I, i'm just really excited uh for the combat especially um just being able to move around that quickly being able to get to high ground i'm excited to see uh sort of what atreus lends to combat this time around we know that he has runic summons still based on like trailers he has uh, a new type of arrow which i'll let people read about in the cover story as well um and he's kind of has more autonomy and fights too which i'll let people read about in the cover story as well so yeah i'm just excited to see how the father-son duo how that sort of extends not only into the narrative but just into the gameplay as well and um i know a lot of other people are really looking forward to seeing how that happens too awesome well yeah like i said let's get blake in here i'm going to take a quick break we'll come back talk about the last of us part one remake uh, maybe some endless dungeon, uh, and then get out of here after some listener emails. Uh, all right, we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to the GI Show, everybody. We've got Mr. Blake Hester here. Hello, Blake. How you doing? Hello. I'm just an extremely normal man having an extremely normal day online today. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, you. You're here to talk about The Last of Us Part Two, but uh, yeah, I, I wish I was you... here to talk about The Last of Us Part Two. <laughs> oh, whoops. Yeah, I meant The Last of Us Part One, comma oh, Two, as well. Because we talked about other things. We talked about the God of War cover reveal, uh, which Jay wrote that cover story. It's his last week. I know you wanted to say something, Blake. It's the last of us his week. Yep. <laughs> that's what I wanted that's to what say. He, that's what he wanted to say. <laughs> But if you would like to say your your piece. Yeah, I'd like to say my piece. Jay, it's been a misery and a dishonor all around. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, Jay is like one of my favorite coworkers of all time, of my many years Thank as you. a laborer. This dude, across the board, it, it wasn't even a competition. The best writer at Game Informer in a way that was mildly <laughs> annoying. I'd, re- <laughs> I'd read something Chill. he wrote and I'd be like, dude, what the hell? It's so good. Uh, and then I'm writing my dinky little articles like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> There's no way. You're too, too kind. Thank you so much, Blake. No, that's 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 my piece. Jay is like one of my favorite writers I've ever worked with slash read in the game Thank space. Um, it's going to be a huge loss losing him for us. But as a fan of his work, his work will continue. So I'll just be able to enjoy it in bigger capacities now, um, which is awesome. It's always good to admire someone's work when you work with them and then have the benefit of knowing they're going to continue doing similar work in a way that you can like you. just view 100% as a fan. You know what I'm saying? Um, so love you, dude. Thank you so much, dude. Love you. Uh, damn. Crazy high praise. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss both Absolutely. of you, but like I said, we're still going to be chilling, so all good. I got to yes, I gotta get over... I got to get over to Minneapolis soon. I've been saying that for like a year. Excuse my language. <laughs> but I've been saying that for a year. So We could just come to New York, which is like an infinitely cooler place than Minnesota. <laughs> like We could just go there. I mean, honestly, we could just put it on the company credit card and just go for free. Like It wouldn't be a big deal at all. Yeah, company retreat. Also, there's some stuff we want to do over there, so why not? We should just make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I got to follow up on an email from February 2022 about that, actually. Oh, really? Oh, man. Kind of. 
Yeah. Well, let's get into The Last of Us Part 1. I, I haven't played the remake. I, I hear it makes it prettier. It, it certainly does. It's so pretty. Yes. Blake, let's go to you. You kind of, you put together, uh, you, you did, we didn't do a proper review, but you effectively, you know, evaluated it and reviewed it. But yeah, let's get into your thoughts on it. I'll say at the top, The Last of Us Part 1, the first one. <laughs> it's such a stupid naming convention. Jesus Christ. Uh, probably, like, I, I would say, I would caveat with what I'm about to say. Everything I'm about to say is like, I would still consider The Last of Us one of my all-time favorite games. I love that game like most people do. I don't think that's like a, that wild of a take to be like, hey, I like one of the most highly regarded video games of all time. I love The Last of Us. Um, it's brave. Right. It was a very <laughs> formative game for me in terms of like thinking about you know uh, media in different ways, or at least like more complex ways i don't know as i say as i stumble through a sentence like an idiot <laughs> um, and you know when this game was announced there was a lot of poo-pooing about it as there often is about the last of us um which is annoying in its own right but i was like you know what hell it looks good i'm excited to replay it so when it became available i jumped on it and interestingly enough it, uh, i would say almost across the board did not land for me which was very surprising because it was like a gate. I honestly like expected it to be one and done, easy. Wash my hands of it. Game's still great. Ship it. You know, print the magazine, and it, it just didn't. And it was really weird, kind of like having to replay The Last of Us, and I don't know, try to re put my he- head, my brain where it was when the original came out when I was nineteen, and how it affected me. And see, like, is that replicated? Are those emotions still there? Do I still feel the way about the writing and the characters that I did, you know, almost a decade ago? I basically lived my entire adult life between those playthroughs. And it just didn't. Like, you know, a lot of that writing that I found really emotional and really affecting and great, I found, like, kind of the opposite in a lot of cases. Like, I, Joel's character didn't land for me. I, I, I like the idea of Joel's arc a lot, you know, conceptually, but like in actual execution, I find it leans less on like exploring his kind of like change of heart in like more nuanced ways into just like, he's cruel. He's mean. He's a, he's a, he's a big mean man, you know? And it's like, well, okay, that, that does get your point across, but like, it feels like we're kind of sidestepping some more interesting character development just by being like, he's a dick, ain't he a dick? And it's like, yeah, he's kind of a dick. So like across the board, I think that story didn't land for me, you know, and a lot of the, the uncomfortableness of its violence, something people love to talk about. I found more shallow than I remembered it being. The Tess, the, the early sections with Tess and Joel, stand out a lot to me as like being a particular pain point with this where I understand that the world they come from is dangerous and it's hard, but it's like, it's kind of like thrown in your face rather than kind of like, you don't explore it very often other than walking through kind of like a sideshow. It almost reminds me of that level in Bioshock Infinite, which is maybe a funny game to also bring up here, but like where you go through the like, museum and it shows you all the different like scenes playing out that's how a lot of that level feels to me it's like hey walk through this this slideshow 
and things aren't you're not really gonna do anything we're just gonna show things to you and it's gonna be uncomfortable for the sake of uncomfortableness and don't get me wrong i love gore and violence the noted fan of violence blake hester but like i think here the violence just didn't have the meaning and the impact that i remembered it having and like if your violence as soon as that's taken away from your story, especially when you want your story to be about the meaning and impact of violence, like it, it lands with the just dullest thud for me. You know what I'm saying? And that was like very much a bummer. Um, Cause it does suck to go back to something like you've spent nine years of your life really holding in high regard and really loving and like, honestly being like pretty influential on like you as a media viewer, hell kind of my career. Um, and going back to it and be like, ah, dang, you know, like maybe this didn't grow up the way I or, like it didn't age the way I wanted it to. And then less important to me, but just worth bringing up, like the gameplay felt very similar. I think The Last of Us Part Two is actually underrated for its gameplay. I think that game is so fun. It is like the tactics of it, the 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 way the tides turn, like it feels like it took those core concepts from The Last of Us, the first one, and just blew them out in every conceivable way in part two. I know there's a lot of, like, under-the-hood improvements. Like, the AI feels better. I like the way they flank you, and you have to think a little more. But, like, it's missing a lot of the things that made part two, I think, so great. And so going back and being like, eh, this is kind of like just a a, a, a cover shooter for 70% of it, you know? And the the 30% there is really good, where it's this, like, tense chase, and I'm, like, trying to outwit the AI who's trying to outwit me. That's great. And then 70% of the rest of the game is a cover shooter where you can't keep your freaking reticle in one spot. It's waving all over the damn place. Um, So that was kind of a bummer. And my, my last take on it, I'll say, is it was really the thing I kept wrestling with, with my evaluation of this game, or criticism, if you will, was like what this game is. And I agree, Ken wrote a great piece that kind of, I don't know if it's shoes the right word, but like it brings up the idea of like the price of the game versus its inherent value. I don't really, I'm with Ken where I don't really, the price of the game doesn't matter to me. Like, I mean, selfishly, I can say I got the game for free. So like the price doesn't affect me at all. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to pay $70 for this. And it's also going to go down in price as time goes on. Like I sure, think sure. That's, that's like missing the forest for the trees of a lot of that kind of conversation. Sure. But I do think the game is very much, it's not positioned the way the remaster was. You know, this is like meant to stand alongside PS5 games. It's supposed to be a PS5 game. It's a remake, essentially. And I think like playing it through that lens, which I believe is the lens Naughty Dog wants you to play it, through you know like i don't think if you ask the final fantasy 7 remake team hey do you want people to feel like this is a ps1 game they would be like no it's a ps4 game you know like that i think the last of us part one is meant to be played through that lens and when you do that and you encounter all the parts of the game where it is still very much a ps3 game which is for me the writing a lot of the combat design you know everything other than the visuals really uh it just doesn't age well um which is a bummer Bummer. That said, Left Behind, which comes with this package, also came with Remastered. Um, it's great. I still love that. And the la- Grounded, the making of The Last of Us two-hour documentary. 
It's a kind of a PlayStation Puff piece, but it's really good. Um, and it, this good. comes with that, and I highly recommend it. That documentary <laughs> rules. I've probably watched it twenty times. Um, yeah, not sent, not for part one over the last ten years. I have probably watched <laughs> it like twenty times. Um, but that's it. That's my take. The last of my takes. Can we go to Ken? I just, um, I know. That... If you missed my joke, I said that's the last of my takes. I can repeat it again if you want some other deliveries on it. <laughs> No, we heard it. Ken, let's go to you. Takes. Yeah, Ken, let's go to you. You covered it for Fanbyte, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, I'm of a lot of minds in response to like a lot of things that Blake said. I think we, I think we just fundamentally disagree on, in a way, I guess, what The Last of Us is about. In a, if that makes sense, because like I, honestly, like the sort of notion that The Last of Us is like a commentary on violence as a concept does not really jive with what I think the games are actually doing. And I think a lot of that, you know, that comes to marketing speak and that's the kind of stuff that like communicates to like a broad audience. Like this game is about like uncomfortable instances of violence where I think more violence is the language through which a lot of these characters speak. And the more interesting writing is, is more like in what they're trying to convey by doing those things more so than it is. Oh man, Joel just pulled this guy out into and like into the shadows and choked him out. Like that's sort of just, my feelings on it. like I, I think there's a lot of talk about like how the last of us is like a very bleak dark depressing thing and maybe it's because i am a very depressed person and that is like you know i counteract that i just like i don't view these games in that way and like honestly by the time that they're all over i think that they are a fairly hopeful pair of games by the time it's all said and done um i think for me the thing that i come away from part one in terms of like i guess my feelings on it narratively now i think it works more effectively as a prologue to part two than it does as its own game now. And I think that that is what has aged poorly, in my opinion, is that like a lot of the sort of um, reflections that that game does on ter- in terms of like the things that the characters do in the end, it is kind of, um, it feels more hollow without the extra context of what comes after, just like kind of like in retrospect as we come to it. And so for me, I think the thing that makes those games interesting is more just like an exploration of like a character's agency versus the player, where I think a lot of that ch- tends to get boiled down to like, Oh, this game is about how bad violence is and how the player should feel bad for doing violence, even though that's like the one thing that they're like allowed to do the progressive story. So like, and that's just the framing that I have for these games and the way that I think the game feels dated narratively, but also it just kind of feels like it was ahead of its time in terms of what part two would extrapolate on. But um, beyond that, I do agree that, that like, I think a lot of the mechanical updates are more, I, I think people that are going to be most like really aware of them are people that are, you know, big fans of this game that have played it enough to kind of know when something feels off or different. And um, like the one thing that I nerded out about when I was playing was that the bow has a reticle instead of like the weird grenade arch that the original game had. And, you know, just those, uh, those little changes I think are going to be more apparent to people that have played this game multiple times. Um, And so all that being said, you know, the game is a whole lot prettier. Like, you know, I I think a lot of that kind of gets lost unless you're looking at them both side by side, because I think, Blake and I were even talking a long time ago when like, this game was first revealed that like it looks like how people remember the original game. Because like, as soon as you get those two like, side-by-side comparisons, you're like, oh no, this is demonstrably different. But I also felt like when it wasn't in cutscenes, I got desensitized to that. And it's like, I wasn't really processing that I was playing a quote-unquote new game. But to be honest, like, you know, all the changes aside, the various feelings we might have on The Last of Us Part 1 as a work, as like a, a, you know, a video game and a story... What is more troubling to me is a lot of the reports that have come out since about, or not even since, like, you know, 
even a year ago about how this remake came to be and it involved some weirdness with like some like some new support studios like working on it before the naughty dog people coming in and you know eventually just kind of like the power dynamic of what was being developed shifted over to like it became primarily a quote-unquote naughty dog product and to me i found what i found more troubling was not that it was 70 dollars or anything it's more just like there is an assertion i think in making a 70 dollar video game that is a remake of something that is readily available there's like an assertion within that that this game is important and should be experienced from the people who made it and will profit off it to begin with you, know, you think about like this is coming out you know so many months before the hbo show and like we know from things like the witcher and you know just any time that there's like a you know a video game adaptation that you know blows up you know people go back and buy the old games and so it just feels like a very strategic calculated move and you know uh, uh, that is what it you know, it is a company's job to make money. It's like, it's not that I necessarily view Sony in like a bad light on that front that they're like trying to make money. It's more like the way that you're positioning something that did at one point, like have like a level of relative to a lot of other AAA games. I think like had a level of like narrative integrity and like, you know, was not aspiring to simply be in this huge money making machine that, you know, a an extended multimedia universe usually is. And for whatever it's worth, like I still think, part one and part two together as it's cohesive work. I think it still has a lot of that integrity. And I still like, you know, I know there's a lot of division around part two, especially, but I do think in the grand scheme of things, those games, they have a vision for what they want to do. They are saying something very specific and that is more than, you know, a lot of AAA games can say, but I find more, just more troubling that Sony is making this massive pivot away from things like Tearaway, Gravity Rush, uh, you know, dreams exist in like this, kind of like pocket dimension of like this really interesting thing that they had a first party studio making but then like there were reports coming out about this remake and just how it was like a centerpiece for these major shifts in this company that just like as a person like who you know came into the ps3 generation kind of late and was like learning about all these you know these original ips and you know these really experimental things that were coming out of sony-owned studios that just sucks like as a person who like i like 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 was saying like last of us the original game was like very formative for me. Like it, I is the game that I largely credit with what made me shift my my career trajectory to writing and talking about games. And part two is one of the most like personally important video games to me probably ever, just because of, like what that game was talking about and when I played it. So like I don't feel great about like what it makes me feel to see like the way that Sony is positioning this game again. Like I, to, just to clarify, like I don't make no mistakes. Last of Us is like it is a product of. Sony is a product of several hundred people, maybe even, you know, to up to like a thousand, depending on like what other studios they're pulling from for support work. Like it is a, it is a product that they are putting on the shelf to be bought and millions of people have bought it. But I also recognize like, I have a frustration with how the prestige of The Last of Us has become something that Sony is aspiring to constantly at the detriment of other things. You know, again, like this goes back to that Bloomberg report that was talking about how this game came to be and how Naughty Dog just kind of like absorbed it to some extent. And that's just a bummer to me that like you, ha- you have this thing that like, you know, this game is really important to me. And it's, it's becoming a symbol of the changing times of Sony and the changing business of Sony in a way that, yeah, like I, I played through this game again and, you know, with all the context that I talked about it, of it being more like a prologue to me than its own standalone thing. Still really love this game. Like had moments where like, Every time I was like, okay, this is just the same game, whatever. But then, like, a scene would come on that, like, I really love it. And I'd see it made to look so much better. I was like, oh, man, this game. Like, it just, like, you know, I muttered to myself, like, oh, man, this, this is that game. This is that game for me. 
and yeah so like i'm a lot of i have a lot of conflicting feelings because like yeah i played a game that i still love and it just has like the shadow over it now that i honestly like i don't think sony has any intention of pivoting away from at this point and i think it's it's just kind of sad to to see what sony looks like and to see this being so emblematic of it these days it's interesting hearing you bring up kind of like business decisions surrounding part one because it right and you were like talking about this but like right around that same time is when all the japan studio news Mm -hmm. was coming out where they were like shuttering things and japan studio basically at this point i think is just like what is it a sobu uh the 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 astro robot Yeah, yeah yeah which like to be fair no shade on them the Astro games are amazing, and I love the work that studio does. But, like, right. you know, Keishiro Toyama had done the Gravity Rush stuff and Siren under them, and that stuff was really great. But he has since gone on to do Bokeh and kind of taken some of the Sony Studios people with him, and other people have kind of split off. And, like, Ueda is doing Gen Design. It's a little nebulous what they're doing with Sony yeah. at this point. But, like, it's interesting to hear you bring those two things up at the same time and remembering back to stories where it was like, oh, yeah, you know, Herman Holst is now taking over and Sony is pivoting away from Japan first to, like, America and Europe first. And Mm -hmm. that's the target audience now. And, like, you can see that as, like, yeah, it's probably just because, you know, I just read a book about the making of the Yakuza games and those games. The first game sold, like, I think 500,000 copies in Japan, and this was 2005, obviously. And that was a huge success, and it definitely is. But you compare that to just, like, mm-hmm. how a game sells in America, and 500,000 is not great. Right. You know what I'm saying? So when you have those two territories, creatively, it sucks. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, to see yeah. something like Japan Studios gutted, business-wise, it maybe makes more sense, but, like... When I think Sony often kind of touts itself under the guise of prestige, which is like very much like, look at how artistic we are right. and how we're really pushing narrative. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but there's a lot of business decisions that are actually gutting a lot of the creativity that you all were putting out. And the, and the thing that's so like wild to look at is you, like, you look at the timeline of PlayStation as a brand. The PlayStation 3, like, you know, whatever, you know, end of life sales were for that compared to the 360. That was the generation where they quote unquote lost, like where you know Microsoft was pulling ahead. They like even if the even if the numbers got to a point where I think the PS3 did eventually outsell the 360, the mind share is still very much Xbox 360 was the console of that generation. And the thing that's wild to me is like when Sony was quote unquote losing was when they were at their most experimental. And you would think, you know, like I'm I'm not a, a person that like is crunching all the numbers of all this stuff, but like you would think when they are or you know when they were in the PS4 era, like where that those scales shifted. You would have been more inclined to like, okay, like we can reasonably, you know, we have these big tentpole prestige games that we, that we you know, rely on every year. But like, you think that, you know, the inclination would be that, like, okay, let's be more experimental. Let's also like offer things that we are, you know, that we only have. It seems like they all, like, that's the thing that's frustrating to me about it. Like, I feel like I appreciate that The Last of Us did kind of like bring into, I, I think there to some degree, like, I do like the way that The Last of Us influenced some of Sony's first party. Like, I think God of War 2018 does not happen if The Last of Us had not happened before it, uh, or at least not in that form. And I, I like, you know, the more story-driven approach that a lot of these games take. But when you just look at, like, the actual output of what Sony's putting out, you know, you're not getting the same swings like Puppeteer or, like, again, like, Tearaway is, like, one of the games I go back to most because, like, that is, like, still... I missed that game so it's much. So, it was so good. And, like, honestly, like, the the PS4 version, very underrated because, like, it, of, and I think it's one of those things where, like, the context of it just makes more sense. It's like you played the Vita version and know 
what that game was doing and like you just see how they adapted those concepts for ps4 but yeah like the sony's output is starting to look homogenous and i think like there's i think that sentiment is often said you know you're like oh every sony game is like a a third person game that has like cinematic quality it's like that feels very reductive to say that like god of war horizon the last of us infamous second son are like the same i think that's you know that is fundamentally disregarding mechanically how those games are very different to say that like because it is a game that has like you know a little level of like cinematic storytelling that those are identical but it does feel like they are feeling samey in the way that they are aspiring to a lot of the same things not necessarily again like not necessarily mechanically but just like in sort of their presentation and yeah it's it's a weird thing to be a last of us fan right now because i feel like that game is so embroiled or that series is so embroiled in some so many controversies that are coming out of sony that it's like almost like you know and then you know there's all the stuff that happens online where like people make it embarrassing to be a fan of things because of the way they just talk about it and i think a lot of that has not been helped by sony and like that this is kind of the crux of the thing that i that i ended up writing and publishing today was that like i feel like a lot of the way that sony positions and talks about this series has added to that and has sort of given you know certain people a way to weaponize it in a way that i don't think is great but also has made people i think rightly dismissive of it in a way because they view it as this thing that has been very you know damaging to you know one of the big three one of the companies that, that is putting out the most the most games and like marketing and you know basically it, it informs the way that we talk about games throughout the year if one company is framing their games in a specific way it's it's interesting too and i I don't know maybe i'm losing the thread slightly here but like sony's what i would argue is like sony's most mechanically and like creatively interesting game of the last couple of years i guess if you don't include something like the last guardian but that was a few years before is death stranding but like the marketing of that, like it, what they didn't obfuscate. You know, I, I think they would. They did like kind of blur what you were actually doing in that game, and really pushed forward. Like, hey, you know, Mass Mickelson, Norman Reedus, mm-hmm. Margaret Qualley's pretty mm-hmm. wild, huh? And it's like, hey, you know, they they all had great performances in that, and I understand why you need to put talent forward like that. But like, it was a clear moment when there was a very clear moment when that game came out, when all the reviewers were like, hey, listen. Uh, this is a weird what yeah. this game is. <laughs> and for me, like, I remember not being interested in that game at all, had resigned myself to the idea that I was not going to play it until those reviews came out and I heard what playing the game was like. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But, like, mm-hmm. even then with, like, one of the – there's not a ton of more examples on the of Sony-funded games at that specific point in history, which was, like, only – two, three years ago, where they were really pushing the kind of weirdness or creativity right. of it. They were very much pushing like, yeah, we freaking f- scanned Nicholas Windig Refn's head in this game. He, he's not in the game, really, but we scanned his head into it. It's like, I don't mm. give a shit. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'm more interested in the fact you made a weird walking game. Like, right. that's cool to me. That's something that is frustrating to me as well, is that like, I, I think part Last of Us Part Two was a like kind of a moment of like some the gears starting to turn in my head in the way that like I feel like the marketing of a lot of these games does so much more damage about the, the ways that we talk about these games more than the games actually do if that makes sense like when you're talking about these games in a certain way you you know marketing is what you are putting forward to, for people that are like on the periphery of things and you know kind of learning about things through osmosis that is like the context that you give them and the framing for them to talk about these things. And I think part two was like an awakening for that because like there was a lot of talk about like 
you know that one specifically they were not talking about like half the game anyway so just the way that they were presenting it to the public skewed it and i think has done honestly i think part two's marketing campaign has done more damage to the way we talk about the last of us than probably anything the games themselves actually do and yeah like you're saying like with death training and things like that like when they hone in on what what i think is going to not be the, the charm or the things that people take away from the game when they finished playing it and more on like how can we sell this as culturally important more than it is what the actual game is because yeah i think i i am more jaded towards marketing campaigns than i ever have been and i think last of part two was the beginning of that because now i'm just recognizing that like you know okay there's there's a whole other branch of the company that is the people that are talking to me versus the people who have made the thing. And like, there's all this insistence on like talking about things in a way, like having a message. And I think it, it has come to a head here again, because like, you know, you, you look at the, the games con or no, it was uh what's the other thing? Summer, summer game fest thing where like they revealed this and you know, they had, yeah. you know, Neil Druckmann, Ashley Johnson, Troy Baker, all talking about like how important the last of us is. And I was like, I agree with you in theory, but like, you know, you're also like telling me as this as the people that are trying to sell me on buying this thing. And I think I think when the work can speak for itself, I, I think some of those conversations don't get muddy, but that is not the industry that video games are. Like they spend millions of dollars on these games. They have to put it in front of as many people as possible, talk about it in the most kind of like buzzwordy, reductive way that they can, because, you know, that is, you know, you hear, you know, it's immersive, it's a brutal world, it's a big open world. Like, you know, you, visceral <laughs> yeah like you hear these things and that is something that you know it sticks with people in passing but it's not not usually the meat of the game that you're actually trying to sell to people i think also like this is not to say the last of us isn't important i think it very much is like my gripes with this release of it aside but like i think the last person who should call something an important text is its creator that means nothing to me of course you think it's important right so like if your marketing is based around the idea of like yeah the guy who wrote it and his livelihood and paychecks are tied up in this product says it's important that means so much less to me than when ken is like hey blake the last of us part two it's important. You need to play it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it means nothing to me that Troy Baker thinks The Last of Us is important. Right. I know you probably bought a house because of it, and we're all happy for you, but it means nothing to me, you know? Right. But, like, that's I, – I don't run a multi-billion dollar company, and right. I definitely don't run the marketing arm for a global multi-billion dollar company. Clearly, it works, but it just means very little to me from – I a, like the idea of, like, I've got Lord of the Rings on the brain, so, like, J.R.R. Tolkien, like, Writing, writing, you know, the books and walking around and be like, you guys see this? You, got, you tried it? <laughs> well, you know, it's like... Pretty cool. I, this is like, it's an unfair comparison, but for like lack of a better, for a lack of a better analogy right now, like, you know, VA and me earlier this year flew out to see um, Derek, Derek Yu and talk about Spelunky and the mm. whole pitch of mm. that was like, Derek, people literally call your game perfect. I would say more so... Right. Then The Last of Us, God of War 2018, Red Dead Redemption 2, the word perfect has become synonymous with Spelunky. And you talk to Derek and he's like, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I disagree, but it's cool. It's cool. I disagree with it. And then, you know, when when people have to, when the creators of The Last of Us have to go talk about it, they have to be like... You know, there there was Aristotle, there was Socrates, <laughs> and then there was <laughs> Druckmann. And it's like, all right, all right, it's been out for nine years. Let's pump the brakes here, you know. Um, there's just like a dissonance to me, mm. um, you know. 
It is what it is. But Death Stranding, let's get into it, folks. So Death Stranding, <laughs> one of the greatest games of the last 10 years. Up there, Kane and Lynch 2, Dog Days. Unbelievable stuff. <laughs> game's pretty good. Well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us on to, you know, one of the games that I think will rival The Last of Us in terms of, you know, uh, folks, you know, I think like staying power and word of mouth and just like uh, Endless Dungeon. Uh, do you guys know what Endless Dungeon is? I don't. Mm. I have, have an inclination based on the name. Okay. So here's, it's got a really cool story behind it. So number one, this game is not out yet. Uh, I played it at Gamescom. It is currently, it doesn't even have a release date, but it is a, now don't zone out when I say this, okay? It's a twin stick tower defense roguelite. Okay, I see Blake zoning out. But wait. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. So I was I was playing this game, I was really impressed with it. But I I just I was like in my interview afterwards, I was just kind of asking like so if you don't know, the Endless series is a series that it's this big kind of space odyssey. There's a lot of lore, a lot of characters. Think of it like almost like an indie Warhammer, right? There are so many like, you know, you ask a dude, Oh, who's this character? And he's got like, you know, 500 pages of, of background right and the endless series is on that on a much smaller scale so they've put out uh endless space endless space 2 dungeon of the endless uh, it's kind of like this micro series that has like a pretty big following now um and endless dungeon is coming out i played it it's really cool i like it a lot i think it's has the potential to be like the next big roguelite when it eventually comes out it's really interesting um and like easy to get into despite those that mishmash of keywords that I said earlier, but I was talking to uh, one of the, the creative director on the game and I was like, well, what, this is pretty cool that you guys have like this kind of like extended universe going on. I feel like it makes it a really great breeding ground for like, you can just kind of like make any number of, of games within this universe. Cause that's kind of what they've done. Every game has been different. I'm like, you could just like pick a genre and find the characters to, you know, to make it work and you can just like keep marketing this product. I was like, that's like a really smart business strategy. Like, can you elaborate on that? And he said, actually, uh, the endless series was really an afterthought. Um, and we founded the studio in 2011. So that's how long amplitude this is amplitude, by the way, uh, Sega published amplitude there in Paris. Um, they were founded in 2011, right? Uh, they said, we all along for the last or for nine years, our dream was to make humankind, which is the four X spinoff that like that very much like, you know, it was a cool game, but like you don't really think of humankind and think of like, Oh, that's somebody's dream project. Right. You think of like, Oh, there's a talented studio, you know, Sega wanted to go after the four X market. So they, you know, they put amplitude on it. Right. They founded the studio and all along in their brain before even Sega, before Sega even acquired them, they're like, we want to make a four X game about human history. It's going to be called humankind. We want to make this game, but to do that, we're going to have to be able to prove that we can make it. And we don't have any experience with a four X game really. So they essentially took all of the pieces of a four X game, the main pillars broke them out into separate genres and then started to started a side series called endless and essentially, okay, well we need like turn-based combat. Okay. So let's make a game about that. And so they came up with dungeon of the endless or whatever. Right. 
as this little pixel art game ended up like finding a huge audience then okay well we need like a we need a 4x game right so they made endless space uh and they just kept making these smaller projects to build up to eventually making humankind but now like humankind yeah sure it was their dream project but their side thing has just blown up into a whole huge fan that is base. wild it's, holy crap mm-hmm. yeah right yeah uh so they're essentially like building their resume to make the game they wanted to make nine years ahead of time and then <laughs> their little side thing ended up turning into a, a you know an awesome series um but yeah endless dungeon is the next uh game in that and now that humankind's out humankind came out what uh 2020 that sounds right oh no 2021 it came out in 2021 i reviewed it um and uh i like that game it was cool i wouldn't have thought that it was like somebody's dream game but you know everybody wants to make something different anyway so this is like the next entry the the first entry in the endless series since they've published their dream game and they kind of you know we're talking about like this is now like their main their main driving factor as a studio is the endless series uh endless dungeon is going to be the first entry you know post humankind and so yeah it's this tower defense twin six shooter um it's it was meant to originally be a a sort of remake of their first endless game dungeon of the endless which was this the whole premise is like you are stranded on this alien space station and to get off of it you have to go deeper towards the core and at the core there might be a way to get out right and so they're kind of gonna you know make it really pretty and all that and they slowly kind of started becoming its own new game and it kind of is now more so like a, a successor to it rather than you know or maybe it's a reimagining rather than a remake right um and so the whole point is you are these it's a character driven character based there's co-op in this game i played it single player and i think it felt great single player and yeah you are it is a tower defense game so you load into the game you pick your character you load into the level right it's a roguelite so you're going to be playing it's run based uh you have a crystal in the middle i'm trying to keep this as as quick as possible uh within the first room the whole point is if your crystal dies you die you have to protect your crystal but the whole point is that you have to go deeper into the space station but you don't know where the exit is for the next um you know uh hall of the space station right so you are going room by room everything is fog of war so you don't know what's behind each door and every time you open a door it's a risk it's like okay well there could be a swarm of enemies behind here there could be treasure there could be um you know cool turrets that i can like upgrade later uh and so you're going room by room and you're looking for the exit meanwhile your crystal is back at the first room and there will be random enemies that will will spawn and come attack it and so again you have that as like your main your main thing if it dies you die so there's a couple things you could do you could uh if you're playing single player you can you get to switch between all the characters on a whim and you can there's like a ton of characters so like you can kind of make your roster uh and they're all kind of like western tropes like space space cowboy western tropes so there's the gunslinger there's the guy who's obsessed with explosives there's the the plague doctor alchemist the person who likes you know the elixirs right they're kind of a healer uh so you come up with your team so you can station certain you know teammates there if you're playing single player but if you but you might like run into issues you know when you fight new monsters right you might not have enough gunpowder and so okay well let me bring them with me and what i'll do instead is this is where the tower defense stuff comes every room has like a, a prefabricated 
grid where there are certain nodes that you can build on top of. So your choice is, okay, do I want to build a turret that will shoot enemies that come into the room? Do I want to build a shield fabricator that will give all of my things in the room shields? Uh, or do I want to do this uh, this thing that will slow things down if it if they enter the room? And those are like the very basic ones later on in the game. Obviously, like they get much more complicated and cooler and have more abilities. And so you are, in order to build these turrets, you have to use your resources. And you only get resources by exploring further. So it's like this really cool balancing act of finding new resources, looking for the exit, building turrets and stuff along the way so that, you know, you don't have to babysit your crystal. And then at the end, once you find the exit, uh, your crystal kind of detaches from the system and comes to like the exit, but it spawns like these big waves of enemies. So you have to like protect it. And anyways, it's all really, really cool. I played it for about like an hour. I had a ton of fun with it. It feels great. It's absolutely gorgeous. The character designs are really neat. I, I really kind of, they're kind of pulling from like their larger set of lore, right? So they've got like all of these characters that you can, they pull from and yeah, it's a really cool game, but I thought the way it came together was really fascinating with it kind of being this afterthought that has now turned into their main thing. Um, but I've got to write up on the website if you're in, more interested in like the, the gameplay of it, you know, I don't want to bore listeners if that's not your jam, but uh, go to gameinformer.com. I've got a preview from my time playing it at Gamescom. You can go and, and read, but yeah, keep an eye out on that game. I, there's no release date right now. Uh, it's they told me that they literally two months ago just finished refining the core gameplay. Uh, six months ago, they said the game was awful. It wasn't even fun six months ago, and they kind of changed things again. I've got like parts of that interview in that article, so I go 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 check it out. Uh, maybe you'll read it in the magazine too eventually. But uh, yeah, that's Endless Dungeon. Um, we've talked a lot today, so let's get uh, to housekeeping, and then we're gonna talk uh, we're gonna go through three listener emails and then we'll get out of here so we will be right back after this welcome back to the gi show we've got a podcast review this week we start off every installment of housekeeping with a new listener review if you take the time out of your week to go and leave us a review we want an honest review, by the way. Uh, we want to say thank you and read it off and shout you out. Uh, this week's review is a five-star review, which you can go and leave over on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, this week, it is written by Fifth 780 F-I-F-780. Uh, the review says, staple of the industry. That's the subject line. The GI Show podcast is such a staple in the video game industry that anyone who enjoys this hobby would be sorely missing out if you haven't been listening. They, they're they pumping out shows. Alex Van Aken's ability to step into the lead hosting role has been phenomenal, and he deserves all the praise in the world when anyone else may have just up and quit with everything going on around him. Uh, the format and structure of the podcast are great, so you know what you're getting each episode, and the timestamps on YouTube make it easy to jump around and find exactly what you're looking for. Uh, although AVA said he would read the next review in the show, I'm honestly not even looking for that kind of recognition. I just want everyone to know how absolutely amazing the people working at GI are past and present and that everyone who enjoys video games should be consuming as much of their content as possible. Know that I really appreciate the sentiment and that uh, it feels great having people like you in our corner that, you know, uh, stick with us through thin and thin and, you know, uh, want to go to go to bat for us and want to support our work. So yeah, we really appreciate you, Fifth. Thank you for, for writing that that review. We appreciate it. 
I don't know. I've said it a million times. We appreciate you. But yeah, let's move on to uh, weekly streams this week. I have no idea, Me. but you can watch them. Oh, you are. What Gundam. are you streaming? Gundam. Uh, what time? Whenever I, no, 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 no. Oh. Building Gundam. <laughs> Imagine. Well, whenever I want, Alex. I literally may, I plan my streams 30 minutes in advance. I'm just like, I'm going to stream. Y'all gave me the login. I'm on. Well, go to twitch.tv slash Game Informer. Put on notifications, and you'll be able to know when Blake goes live. Uh, We also stream on Thursdays and Fridays around 2 p.m. Central. Uh, I want to stream something. I I haven't streamed in a minute. I've been thinking about streaming maybe some Destiny, too. I really kind of want to get back into that. Uh, Maybe maybe some Fortnite. I don't know. Apex? Uh, But, oh, new season's out. Dude, that new character looks awesome. She's pretty dope. Not gonna lie, yeah. yeah, we should play. She has does she what's her traversal ability? So she can like ju- she has like this little cute bat thing that she can like jump to and then she could double jump off of that. So she can like rotate in yeah, and out of fights sick. like super. Okay, yeah, we gotta play. I'm gonna sure. install the update. Oh yeah. We should stream that. Especially when it's your last week. Like you're just chilling, chilling right? You, you don't have much going on. No, I'm chilling. Yeah, I'm you're chilling, vibing. Yeah, so. Uh yeah, we should absolutely do that. Over on the YouTube channel, we got a lot of awesome stuff. YouTube.com slash game informer. On Friday, I believe, we'll have our first uh, God of War gameplay video going up. Uh, on Thursday, tomorrow, the day you're listening to this, I uh, have a High on Life interview going up. Talk to the team about their marketing struggles, people's reception to their game at Gamescom, and how you know, w- w- how do they feel about you know, some of the negative comments they've got, and how do they... This just kind of goes back to they've been struggling with what parts of their game to show, how you know, interactability affects comedy, and... And kind of some of their clip, their a lot of their clips kind of lack context and don't show well. Um, it was a really fascinating interview that I'm surprised PR let me have, but I had it and it was great. Um, one of my favorite interviews I've done, and I interviewed three people from Squanch Games on a rooftop in Cologne with a 360 view of the city. So yeah, go check out that video. It was it was a, a lot of fun to produce and to uh, conduct. Uh, lastly, social media. Go follow this whole. Beautiful crew here. You can follow Jay at Jason underscore Guisao, G-U-I-S-A-O. You can follow Kenneth Shepard at Shepard CDR. That's S-H-E-P-A-R-D-C-D-R. And then uh, you can follow Blake Hester at Radmuir. Or you can follow his friend AJ at Metallica is Rad. That's right. Uh, and you can follow me at it's Van Aiken on Twitter or Instagram. I've been using Instagram more on my, my story. I don't really post on there, mm. but I... I like, you know, oh, look at my food. And I'll take a photo and put it on my stories. Also, if you, I put a lot of my Europe stuff on there. Uh, I, I like that platform. I, I also been, I've been on Be Real, but I'm not adding anybody. You can't follow me on oh, there. My favorite photo that's of cool, you is, is on there, right? <laughs> I mean, you can add me, Jay, okay. but that's just for, for me. I thought you sure. were going to say you were posting a lot of your urine. I did too. I didn't, I didn't want to say it out loud. That was exactly what I thought you were saying. <laughs> I was like, all right, bro. That's a hard pivot from your normal you, content. That's Wait, for free? <laughs> yeah, yeah for I know. Mm. To be clear, I, would, I would pay for that. Slash Alex After Dark. <laughs> be there. Pee there. Oh, God. <laughs> You would pay though, Blake? You would pay? Yeah, I would support all my boys doing that. Mm. For sure. Yo, 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 yo. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Blake's over here saying that, oh, I'll support all my friends. Let me tell you all about this. Okay, so I don't know if y'all know this. On Patreon, if you, if like somebody that you're, I think if you're. Um, okay, here we go. I, I don't remember like what the connection is to be, but like I get, I sometimes get uh, emails from Patreon that are like, 
oh, so-and-so has subscribed to this person on Patreon. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that that did not occur to me as something that would ever reveal information to me. But uh, shortly after the uh, the MinMax Patreon went up, Blake and I got, or Blake sent me and Eric Van Allen like a really heartfelt message about how he was going to have to cancel his Normandy FM patron. And I was like, Yo, man, it's no. fine. I don't like. I don't. I'm not worried about it. That's you know. Okay. Do what you got to do. I have a rebuttal. I have a rebuttal. And then uh, I got the email that Blake had uh, subscribed to Min Max, and I was like, okay, okay. Oh no. In my defense, oh, no. in my defense, I didn't have a full time job at this point, and I was subscribed to Normandy FM for like ten dollars a month, a lot of money, and I subscribed to Min Max. For like one dollar a month, not even enough <laughs> to get any bonuses from it, and I wasn't even a patron very long. It was like a couple months. No, I mean, no offense to Mimax, they're great. Definitely. Don't dig them up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love this, uh, listeners. If you don't know, they go yeah, right we got there. I got other beef I can air out. You want to tell them about the Danganronpa and Yakuza thing? I've been replaying Yakuza oh. Zero. Well, that doesn't that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> all right, for, for the <laughs> listeners, uh, about three years ago at this point. Uh, Blake and I made like an agreement, like I would play the Yakuza games if he played Danganronpa, because like we're the just like very big games that we both. Uh, I have a rebuttal. I, well, I haven't even finished the thing yet. <laughs> so I was, I was, you know, I was getting into Yakuza. I wasn't really feeling like the beat 'em up stuff, but I was like really into like the drama of it, and I was like, okay, I can, I can jive with this. Blake gets like a chapter into Danganronpa Trigger, Trigger Happy Havoc, and um, he's like, oh man, I'm really into this. This is cool. Uh, Stop playing. Just like drops off the face of, face of the earth. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, okay, then I'm just not going to play Yakuza. And, you know, Yakuza, very popular franchise. I don't know if y'all know this. A lot of people uh, like Yakuza. A lot of my coworkers like Yakuza. But I also, if there are two things you need, there are two things you need to know about me. One, I don't forget anything. Two, I hold a grudge like no one's business. And <laughs> so I'm not playing the Yakuza series on principle. Every, every, oh game, every game that comes out, everyone's like, oh, man, this game looks so good. Eric Van Allen was telling me a lot about Like a Dragon. He's like, oh, you know, it's, it's turn-based. So, you know, this is, there's, you know, a different, like, it's like a shift. You might be more, more into it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> now, what Ken is failing to leave out of this story is when at I'm the same time. failing to leave out of the story? Or what is Ken succeeding in leaving out of this story? Um, <laughs> one, you know, Dangarampa is good. Shouts out to the swimmer girl. She is my fave. <laughs> is that at the same time I tried to play Danganronpa... I was both getting sober, had to go to literally rehab, a month-long inpatient hospitalization, and... Bro, that's a lot of time to get the platinum. You, bro, you can't have video games in rehab. And oh, I true. had cancer. God. All right. So <laughs> Didn't stop him from playing other games. Pull. Got a whole write-up about how he played Spider-Man to get through cancer. Couldn't play Danganron to get through cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if, you, if you need to edit that out, that's fine. That's very much like mask off being like coming out. So no, if you need he, to take that out. No, that's fine. But you leave it in. You can leave it in. Um. No, that's gonna be like the first. You know, the cold open. That's gonna be the teaser. Look, all I'm saying is Spider Man came out at a more advantageous time. Well, it came out on Switch, and he said that would be the thing that brought it back, and he just never did it. I have I have stick drift. Get new Joy Cons. Oh wow. No, I don't play my Switch. <laughs> Every you can send them in the I, mail and they'll fix them excuses if, that's what i'm saying <laughs> if 25 <laughs> listeners of the game informer show tweet at me verbatim blake i heard ken on the game informer show you need to play dang and rampa i'll stream myself <laughs> playing the entire series 
All right, y'all. No, y'all know just what to the do. first game. I'll stream myself playing just the first game. I'm very busy, man. Yeah, please just yeah. do one. I'll stream <laughs> the entire game, but it has to. Be- I don't. I don't want to tank the the Twitch channel. <laughs> people love those games. <laughs> it has to be 25 people I'm because I, I mean, to be fair, the game was very good, and I do want to play it, and I just never have. You know how it goes. Well, there's a time for everything. I mean, you know what I did watch, Ken, was the Archipel mini documentary about the creator of. Oh, that's true. That was a, a very good one. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shouts out to Archipel. Let's talk about this for a while. Archipel? Yeah, that was awesome. Amazing work. Archipel? Here's my dream job. Yeah. Game what? Informer. But if <laughs> if Game Informer doesn't work out, Archipel. You going to hold the camera? Dude, remember when we were when we or were on that produce. shoot together? I pulled my iPhone out and I line up the shots for the director and I'm like, yeah. this is what I want. Really good, uh, especially with different lenses on different cameras. Real easy to duplicate. Speaking of which, I, <laughs> speaking we, of which we worked I it need out. one of your cameras in two weeks, if possible. Word. All right, well, let's finish up this podcast. Listener emails. Uh, this week, we don't have emails. We have Discord questions. Uh, you can leave them uh, on the official Discord of Game Informer, which you can get access to by subscribing to the Twitch channel one time. Subscribe one time, you get access. Just a way for us to keep the jerks out and keep the community curated. So if you want to use your Twitch Prime sub, that's perfectly fine. Uh, sometimes people have issues linking their their Twitch and their Discord, and sometimes it just doesn't recognize that you're a subscriber for some weird reason. So if you have issues, uh, DM me on Twitter at itsvanaken, or uh, better yet, it's easier if you just email me, alexvanaken at gameinformer.com. Now, I know I have a couple of people I need to get back to. I've been traveling uh, and my inbox has like over a hundred emails in it because of Gamescom. So I'm gonna get to you. I see you. Uh, thank you for your patience um, and for your support. But you can go and leave uh, your comment there or email us podcast at gameinformer.com. This week's first question comes from Jadonka Donk, who asks, "What do you think are the do's and don'ts of a remake?" Do remake it. Don't make it bad huh. okay that that, that covers a lot of things that's a very broad stroke i think we can i think we answered the question <laughs> no i right. i have a i have a whole answer a real answer don't treat the source material as a bible or a sacred cow that's untouchable the things i like about the re2 remake the final fantasy 7 remake honestly a lot of video game adaptations which you could kind of look at as a, like video game film adaptations which you could look at as a remake. I always, even if they, they aren't successful or not good, I always like when the source material is adapted and you can feel a different director's hands on it and you can feel like a different approach to something. Shouts out to the GOAT, Paul W.S. Anderson. Blake, did you watch the uh, the Uncharted movie? No, I haven't. I was just say I don't know how much that, I don't know how much that <laughs> seems to work with Mark Wahlberg's uh, portrayal of Sully. Yeah, well, I think Mark Wahlberg in general should just, go away just stop <laughs> yeah mark Wahlberg, uh, but please like, stop. yeah i i like go make burgers i like <laughs> i like remakes that like are very clearly someone else's take on an established story i think that's always more interesting than here's the thing you remember but it's new again and it's like okay doesn't do much for me you know i can play the old thing no yeah i agree jay what about you yeah, I, I completely agree with. Sorry, you literally answered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no worries. Pay attention, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I, I think take liberties, like Blake said. Uh, change up the art style, or make you know. I think that would be cool as well. Man, have you seen that that um, video of the Pokemon? Yeah, handmade, and the style of the old um, 
you know, drawing. Oh, that would be so sick. Mm. Yeah. I got here's another one. Based off what Final Fantasy VII remake did so well, put Jesse from Final Fantasy remake in all of the games. If you're remaking Perfect. game, put Jesse in. Perfect. Well, you're not trolling. You, you like Jesse? Yeah, she's great. She's my favorite character. I didn't even finish that game. I just like Jesse. Wait, you don't even know what? Okay. What happens? Did she, did she die? No, that's not. What I'm, that wasn't the thing I was alluding to. I was more like in the conversation of like do's and don'ts of a remake i think final fantasy 7 remake is interesting in what it does at the end which i am i mean i mean the game's like two years old now like i am, are we, can we just say things like it's, it's been long enough i watched the tim rogers video uh, on spoiler it. warning yeah good you call. got if you don't want to know what happens at the end of the remake for final fantasy 7 i'm gonna give you another five seconds while i talks and you can pause the show or you know you can peace out we're at the end We'll see you next episode. We appreciate you listening. But five for spoilers for Final Fantasy. Like, I mean, I read them on Wikipedia. This like 45 seconds at this remember. point, bro. Three, two, one. It okay. implies Go that ahead. it's they're, they're going to do different things, right? Like, right, because like, they got these like, different. ghost things that are going into the game. They're basically trying yeah. to like maintain the continuity of Final Fantasy VII. And like, I'm of a lot of different minds with that because I, I think Final Fantasy Seven. I, I I guess I will be more interested to see what it actually tries to do with that because I think an example of something that I think actually pulled that kind of thing off very well was the Evangelion rebuilds, uh, because it felt oh. like they they did that sort of thing and it was like with a very specific intent to like interrogate their past. Where I am interested to see if Final Fantasy Seven remake is actually doing that or if it's just like we we were bored and didn't want to do the same thing again like i wanted to see if it's like having like a conversation with itself about like what it means to remake something but not one-to-one and like you know be aspiring to something uh, no what i was saying was way stupider because <laughs> final fantasy 7 remake was made in unreal engine like a lot of games are so i just mean take the character model of jesse oh i think and put her nice. in other remakes well done well that's done. what i, I also think that the possibility of i don't think whatever they're gonna do with the remake you know and the continuity and what they change i don't think it's ever going to live up to the feeling of Mm -hmm. wondering what they're gonna do Mm -hmm. i think like this place that we're at right now is the most effective and the most uh enjoyment i think people are going to get out of this you know approach to the remake i think I think it's going to lead to disappointment mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, people being divisiveness. So I think soak it up, soak up like the, the awe, right. the feeling of like wonder, like, Oh, what are they going to do? Like, this is so weird. Soak it up now while you can enjoy it. Honestly, I, I, I hope at the end that they're like, we have to go back and like do everything like it's supposed to be. Otherwise we're not going to win. That's what I want. I want them to do like the, the Avengers end game thing where they're like the one time, the one timeline where we can get this right is when, Aerith dies. <laughs> okay, cool. It's interesting. Because Doctor Strange. It was interesting hearing you bring up the rebuilds in relation yeah. to it. I don't like those very much. But did you, did you, you watch all of them? No, I haven't watched three plus so, one yet. I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, I. We're in Evangelion Hour. Um, I yeah. had, like, a mix of feelings about the the original show when I watched it. Because, like, for, for context, I watched all of it after everything had come out. So, like, mm. when I got to the end of the show, I was like. Okay, kind of felt like I lost the plot at the end, but all right, okay, cool. And then I watched the end of Evangelion, which was like, I think knowing the sort of like behind the scenes stuff that was going on with that film and how it was kind of meant to be like this interrogation of like fandom in the long run was like, that was what was interesting to me about it. But I was like, really, I really felt weird about the way that it felt like those characters were just kind of, you know, 
used his punching bag for this guy to sort out his, mm-hmm. his deal. So I went into the rebuild kind of like feeling I'm, I'm more or less trying to watch the rest of this just so I know it and understand it. But then I got to the final scene and I just started bawling and I was like, oh, it was worth it in the end to see all of that. I, uh, I do think with the rebuilds, I watched one and two and I was like, no, I, I watched one and 90% of two and I was like, it's kind of just the same thing. And then when two's like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> like when you two's stop, like, let's not being the same thing. When two was like, yo, what's up? I was like, Whoa. yeah. And then three, when three is like, hey, check this out. I'm like, I don't really like these, but I'm in it. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just admiring how, like, out of pocket you're getting with these right now. Does that make sense? Like, I don't mm-hmm. really care for them overall, but like, I was fully on board to just be like, okay, so this is different. This is a new series now. This is a different Ava. Definitely. Um, I really like that. Like, Thrice Upon a Time, I think, ended up being my, probably, like, my favorite movie of last year. Even as a person that, like, mm-hmm. I said, I just, like, I marathon that entire series at once. And I think, like, I got my various feelings about Evangelion as, like, a as like in a vacuum, as a thing with, like, its lore that I don't think is honestly, like, worth digging into because it's so convoluted. But in terms of just, like, the statement that it is making in the last ten minutes of that movie worth the entire ride it is it's incredible i do really like end of ava and i think more creators should be willing to say <laughs> i hate my fans like, let me I tell you about I think okay well i'm on board because i i mean this sincerely and i don't think people that listen to game informer are gonna like this i think it is valuable for fans to be called out in mean and harsh ways <laughs> and I, I think what end of Ava is a valuable text in terms of like, hey, yeah. shut up for a second. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Ken, shut up. I'm right? No, saying, no, no. Like, no fans of a thing, shut up. You know, like I, I think that is a valuable piece of work for that. Mm-hmm. Not that that's the only thing that's doing. That would be reductive to say, but that part of it, I really appreciate. Right. And that, that's that was the thing. Like I think if I had watched it outside of the context of knowing that, like knowing what this was like in reference to, I think I would have been more off put. I was just, you know. Like I said, like I, I felt weird about the way that it used the characters specifically in certain scenes and well, certain like, actions. What do you mean? I mean, I, I, I don't, I do not think. Oh my goodness! Uh, dude, like, what, are we, <laughs> wait, what are we at? Like, I don't so, think. Seen kid. I don't think the last thing Shinji does. Is, I want to watch these. Okay, then I'll, I will say this in the in the vaguest way possible. I don't think the last thing that Shinji does in that movie is necessary. Oh, I thought you were thinking of the first thing Shinji well, that, does that, in that, that movie. That I understood though. That I was like, yeah. I. It's, I mean, it's a it's a very loaded scene. Um, <laughs> okay. On, oh, all right. What is wow. this? Cut me out. Get me out of here, Alex. Get me. I gotta go. This is the uh, Game Informer okay. show, not Chapo Trap House, Ken. <laughs> We've got a question from Connor Campbell via email. Chapo Trap House. Dear Informers who game. I don't. With the global phenomenon that is Pokemon releasing another game this year. I'm surprised Xbox and PlayStation haven't tried to make their own version. Okay, watch. So, Digimon. I was wondering, which first-party studio would you want to make a Pokemon hmm. competitor for Xbox and PlayStation? Yeah, their picks are Xbox, Double Fine, PlayStation, Pixel Opus, the team that made Concrete Genie. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to read this. I feel like there have been many Pokemon competitors. Yeah. I mean, not, not necessarily first-party, but... There have sure. been, like, you know, over the years. It's a weird thing. Give it give it to the Coalition. I think they do some... I'm kidding. <laughs> who needs, who yeah. needs Gears of War 6? Let me chainsaw <laughs> Eevee in half with a gun. No! 
<laughs> I even like Eevee. Um, that was rude. <laughs> I kind of like the double fine thing. I think whatever yeah. they made would be yeah. at least weird. Mm-hmm. Are they making a Pokemon game or a Pokemon competitor? Competitor. Like, Microsoft did try to do that with Viva Pinata. Yeah. Um, oh. Bring back just yeah, bring back Viva yes, Pinata. Like that that that's point number one. Viva Pinata is in my top ten. I think it's at number seven. Back when I tried to rank them, I love that game. game. I don't know. Like the thing is, I wonder. Like okay, character design is one aspect of that. That but like it's also just like I, I was having a conversation about this recently. It's like Sony doesn't really have like RPGs in the way that we talk about like JRPGs and like like when I when I think of like a Pokemon game, it doesn't really seem like Sony has like a studio that is kind of like that, I don't know. Um, yeah, they're. Mm. I feel like they just rely on third-party partners for that. Yeah, like I mean, they've got. I mean, well, not anymore. I would say they have Persona exclusivity, but that's not. Nothing. Yeah, maybe like. Hmm. I need to pull up the names of all these. I mean, it'd be cool to see what the the Astrobot team. Yeah, I, I like that. I, that actually might be my answer because I just like they have like a and you know and this is me having only really ever played like Astro Playroom like they have like a very good sense of like charm to the way that they like design yeah. characters and design just like. Like or express things through characters, so I think that's a very yeah. key point you need to make a Pokemon game. So that would probably be my answer for Sony. Yeah, I like I like Double Fine for Xbox. I think that's my answer. Yeah, I, I think I think the same thing the same thing for the Astro team. It's like you know applicable to Double Fine in terms of like character design yeah. and expressing things through them. I like that. Uh, two final quick rapid fire questions, kind of angled at me. Biscus Davy asks, unrelated to you playing a game, what was the best part of Gamescom? I think uh, seeing the Cologne, Cologne Cathedral was really cool, going up and touching it. And I went at night. I didn't get to go inside, but I went at night. It was like really peaceful and serene. I tripped down the stairs afterwards in the dark, but Damn. the the part where I saw... What is life if not a series of contracts? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I had a lot of great kebab. So the best part of Gamescom were two things not related to Gamescom. Well, the city that... It, okay, so... <laughs> no, I'd want... rather hear this stuff than the Gamescom stuff. I'm going to say hanging out with friends. I got to meet up with Reb Valentine from over at IGN. We had some great tea and hanging out with, you know, Mitchell Saltzman. My friend who I met at Evo for the first time. It was our second trip hanging out together. Uh, I got to meet uh, like Keen and Jordan Alloman and... Royalty. And, um, you know, people, wow. people they introduced me to. It was a great time to connect with friends, old and new, and I had a blast. And then lastly, Jill Grote asks, hit me with the three best indies you saw at Gamescom. Um, I'm going to say, man, indies. A lot of the stuff is like... Kojima's podcast. Technically an indie studio. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of people who like self-publish things that I saw... A lot of things that like I would think were indie actually aren't. Lies of P. I think that's. I think they're. I think they're self-publishing. Um, that was cool. There's a lot of things that like reminded me of indie games, but aren't. Like Endless Dungeon is like Sega published. Uh, I played the new uh, Below the Waves, which is that Quantic Dream published game, which we aren't going to get into all that. But I played that game, who is made by Parallel Studios. Uh, I really uh enjoyed what i played of that you know they have like this whole mechanic where anywhere that you're at um you can swim and so like that doesn't that doesn't seem impressive but like the way the game is formatted you're kind of walking around like narrative style and then they're like oh by the way you could just like press triangle and you can start you can swim up there to that thing that you're looking at i'm like oh that's really cool 
Oh, there's a game coming out called Backfirewall, and it's like a. I didn't play it, but Jordan Alleman told me about it. How it's a kind of portal esque puzzle game um, that is like really cool, and he's like, it's gonna be like a sleeper hit for sure. It's coming out soon. Yeah, I don't know. Planet of Lana. I played that. That's really cool. It really, I can't wait to to play more. They they talked about how the opening to Inside is like a huge inspiration for them. Played a little indie game called Dead Island Two. Can we talk about? Uh, have we have we talked about this on the show? No, we haven't. Look, I played it. I I I love me some good gore. One of the most obscene video game trailers I have ever seen yeah. in my life, dude, was not yeah, prepared yeah. for that level of blood and guts. No. It was cool, though. I was into it. Shout well, out. Uh, okay, I've got yeah. my three answers. I've looked at my list. Best three indie games I played. Lightyear Frontier. Mm. I played that. Really looking forward to that. They had an Xbox that looked like a mech. They had a custom Xbox. Mm. It was really Gundam. cool. Blake, you would have liked Gundam? it. Um Kind of. Uh, Serial Cleaners, that's coming out soon. I played that. Mm. That game's great. Real British game, right? Uh, Yeah. And then I played Moonscars. And that is a uh, really cool, stop me if you've heard this one before, 2D Souls-like, which I typically roll my eyes at, like, I don't roll my eyes, but I typically brush them off and don't play them because I'm like, okay, we've seen these a thousand times. Uh, Doing some really cool stuff with, like, their animations and just the overall... It's like it's that pixel art style where like everything is super fluid and th- there's a lot of use of like uh, shape in terms of like the animations are almost cartoon like in the way that like the pixels and shapes kind of bend. Think of like that harpoon game that came out last year uh, where you played the, with a magical harpoon. It was a pixel art game. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it came out last January. Reminded me of that game. But yeah, uh, I'll have content for all that coming up soon. You can check it out gameinformer.com uh this is the end of the show ken thank you for joining us where can people follow you and find yeah you work? can find my work all week every day uh over at fanbyte.com i uh, can follow that at fanbyte media on twitter uh as for me uh, i am shepherd cdr on twitter and alongside all my writing over there i do a bi-weekly retrospective show called normandy fm which obviously by the name started as mass effect show and it's kind of just turned into a general retrospective about whatever i'm feeling like at that point um, so we've done, we did Mass Effect, we did Dragon Age, we did Jade Empire, then we pivoted away from Bioware into The Last of Us. So like, if you liked all The Last of Us talk we had here, we got 16 episodes. Yeah. Blake is on one of them. Then we did Final Fantasy X and Ten Two, and we are now, as of this recording, in the middle of Cyberpunk 2077, which has been Sweet. a very rewarding game to go back to. Who would have thought? Can we, can we talk about this? I really like that game. That game Sorry. is so good. I, it's so good. I am coming, I have come around to that. Oh my like, god! Okay, the, the, here, hold on. Here's here is the caveat. I think it is an unremarkable video game in terms of like mechanically, systemically, as an open world game. It is fine. Yeah. I think the way that it like frames a city and the various yeah. feelings you can have about being in a city and feeling like like what are concepts of home in a city that's completely depersonalizing of you as an individual and everything you want and believe in. That game is ace. Like I am feeling very rewarded by it. Yeah. Having like I just you know finished writing my notes for the finale, which we are several weeks away from recording, but um, just like you know compiling all my thoughts for stuff. I think that game is one of the best games at actually capturing what it feels like to literally be in a city. Mm-hmm. Like just the raw act of looking at the buildings around you 
and yep. be like kind of feeling your sense of place in them and how small you are. Like that game is incredible at just being like, look at these freaking structures, man. Like, you know, the emotional reaction people have to seeing like beautiful vistas in open yeah. world games. I have that I have that reaction to Night City more so yeah. than any other game. What a game, dude. God. I gotta I gotta go back and play it's it. It's so oh, good. Should. It's it's better now. Like if that's the best I can get. Like it's not crashed. Yeah, me. my my PC struggled at the time. Okay, yeah. Um and I, I mean that's been on my list for a while to go back and replay. Definitely got a crappy ending when I played though, so watch out for that. Mm. Yeah. Alright. Also fans of video gameography, go listen to Normandy FM. We pretty much stole their idea. <laughs> oh. It's like a book club. That's not true. We <laughs> That's not true. Yeah, it's, it's it's a book club. But if you like video gameography, go listen to Normandy. Normandy FM, FM stole uh, it from Oprah's book club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Oprah stole it from. I, don't know, she I, I was about to say something that was not kosher to say on the show. Never mind. Shut my mouth. Now. Say it. It's, it's time for me to go, y'all. The fan bites come <laughs> <right>. around me. <laughs> uh, of course, follow Jay and all of his new adventures. Go wish him a congratulations on Twitter at Jason underscore Guisao. Man, I was going to have Jay uh, hint where he's going, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's mean. I don't want him to get in trouble, but it's a cool place. I'm just excited for people to know, man, yeah, as cool. I'm sure Jay is. Mm-hmm. So go follow him at Jason underscore Guisau. Follow Blake at Radmuir and you can follow me at It's Van Aken. We'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.